Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's Roller Coaster Podcast. Hello, dear friends. How are you all? I hope you're keeping safe, staying home as much as you can, and taking the time to internalize, taking the time to perhaps do a clear out in the house that you've been longing to, maybe a clear out of your own system, taking the time to sit down perhaps every now and then and just contemplate life and look at the positives of it because we all are blessed in one way or another we are all facing difficulties that's for sure and unprecedented challenges on those unprecedented times but i'm sure we can all sit down and understand the amazing things that we all have in one way or another because we are still alive we're here and that's a magical thing on its own. I have today a friend, a person that I got to know for the last few months since we've been working together um, with this international act of which you guys probably are aware of because I probably mentioned it before in one way or another, Ego Kill Talent and Tony Couch he spent his early days in rock radio and had a stint as a rock editor of Hits magazine before he gained nearly 20 years of management experience with artists including Shinedown, Neon Trees, Fear of a Madman, etc. He's also been day-to-day manager to rock bands, Chevelle, Fear of a Madman, and in this moment, supervising team of artist managers at company and uh, roses of 15 artists including Shinedown and Hailstorm and we clicked from day one Tony is an unbelievably experienced artist manager and experienced all around professional of the music business industry and it's with great pleasure that I managed to catch him um, for a brief chat to make this podcast and there were plenty of other questions that I would like to ask Tony but uh, with three kids and a wife (laughs) it's uh, definitely very time constrained but uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of other opportunities to carry on but uh, nonetheless it was a very interesting chat Tony uh, walks us through how he ended up you know in the music industry and um, how he worked in so many different projects with so many different and very very extremely successful major acts worldwide so that's enough for me i hope you will all enjoy this podcast and yeah with you guys mr tony couch hey tony how are you doing, my friend? Welcome to the roller coaster. Um, I'm I'm ready for the ride, Carl. Uh, you know, I guess I'm doing the best that we can do in these in these uh, times of calamity. Absolutely, my friend. Absolutely, we are all facing uh, well troubled times and hoping for this whole crazy scenario to just go away as soon as possible but we are all aware that this is going to take a little while and for professionals like us working in the music industry it's very 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 complicated isn't it it sure is you know i've been doing this for 20 plus years and i always felt like that the the business was uh uh solid and impervious and, and not uh penetrable in the sense of um live performance and never in my wildest dreams uh thought that that there would be a day that people couldn't gather together but we uh we've uh, we've uh we've been hit by it and um you know as they say you know this too shall pass and we'll figure it out and we're all in it together and it's it's not like a, a 9/11 scenario um or um 
you know, uh, uh, the situations that have happened in the UK and the, and the terroristic standpoint, you know, it's just, a, it's happening globally, right? So um, it's, it's much harder, right? I mean, I, I've, I was just um, talking to some, some friends the other day on, on Skype and, and they were saying that if it's a bomb or if it's like a terrorist attack, it tends to be um, localized. It's, it's, it, there's a target, there's an area, and that country and that area of the world will face uh, problems and difficulties. But that's uh, a specific part of the world. On this particular case right now, uh, the world is completely shut down for, for you know, uh, a period of which nobody knows uh, how long this is going to last for. And you know, it's yeah. a, I've, I've never we've, we've never I've, we've never faced anything like it before, and we're probably never going to face anything like it. Hopefully, after well, this all passes, it may actually be the new normal. Sad, sadly, in the sense of um, you know these coronaviruses continue to to to, to creep up and, and leak out, or whatever the case may be. Um, and from my perspective, is uh, you know our perspective professionally and in, in, the, in the entertainment side. You know, I'm talking to the booking agencies and talking to you know other managers and um, from 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 a point of having mass crowds together again and feeling comfortable in our normal way of life of even going out you know to the restaurants and what have you until there's an antiviral or maybe even shall I dare say the vaccine, it's going to be very difficult. You know, we can hope and and pray and want, as they say, my. My old boss's ex, uh, ex-wife who passed away, to rest her soul, she used to say, how does it feel to want? <laughs> <laughs> and we want, but it doesn't mean we can have. But until that's there, I mean, I just don't know. I just don't know. I think that they're going to end up changing density um, uh, elements inside of venues for a while. I mean, there's going to be a whole new world that we're going to have to hurdle through. And I think it's going to ultimately impact the artists. Um, you know, uh, the artists may, you know, there may be less tickets available. Um, people aren't going to have as much disposable income to buy tickets. So, I mean, and, you know, talking to my, my boss over at C3, you know, he, he he's like, look, we'll, we'll get through this. And it, it just may take, it may take longer than we anticipate, but eventually we will get back. And the one thing that's amazing and, um, that why we do what we do is if you think about it the power of music can't be can't be held back imagine the world without music you know and 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 now everyone's moving to the internet and um uh, it's like pouring water through a funnel Mm. um (laughs) there's not enough you know bandwidth and then then you think about an artist who um, you know, who, who we work with together is with the Eagle Kill Talent, and they're amazing. We were so primed, ready to, and ready to pull the, the trigger on just this an amazing rollout. And, and this, you know, this too shall pass, and keeping it positive that, that, that when the time is right, it will, it will be ready to share with the world. And, uh, but you think about how, as an artist, when every artist is doing what they're doing right now, and as they should be, is going to the internet, yeah. Um, how do you develop and find new fans? Because I feel like most fans, I'm sure there's people that are doing discovery. Sure, absolutely. But what percentage of that is our habits are changing? People are scared. People are uh, losing the money and, and things like that. So like their habits are not the same. But but do they but do they go discover new artists or do they go to the artists like mm-hmm. like they do like it's like comfort food <laughs> yeah yeah well i'll tell you i'll tell you what i have been doing it i personally have been going through loads of discographies of which i have never uh, touched before like for example like several different examples today i've been listening to tina turner all of her albums you know going from the beginning to an end because you know the big hits but like listening to the whole albums like old school way and it's fantastic obviously you know nowadays with uh, a streaming you can just literally pick an artist every single day and just listen to their entire discography it's a world that there's no uh, limits whatsoever and and you end up discovering things that uh, you know like I was listening to Keith Richards you know his solo career and it's really good his solo records are really really good and that's the kind of stuff that normally you know um, for some reason 
you just, I personally don't do it, you know, but now I'm having kind of like the time to, you know, um, experiment and not discover maybe new artists, but actually go into the roots of, of it all, you know? Well, it's interesting you say that. I think because of technology, you know, because, you know, I'm holding up my phone, of the, of the phone that we all have and we all live on, you know, the world has become such a uh, smaller place, but it's also such a fast paced, you know, instant gratification place. So in, in, a, in, a, in a world um, uh, global crisis like this, it, it again changes behaviors. And like for you, it's, you know, it's, it's slowing us down a little bit and that's giving you the time to, you know, look you know under the under the hood to, to you know to to enjoy life you know enjoy music and things that you hadn't thought about in a long time and i'm sure that's happening for lots of folks and we were driving the other day in one of our rare um uh car travels of recent um to uh, to go to some outdoor field where we could you know take our, our three three kids and uh, my wife said to me as we were just talking about the situation she said you know maybe in some weird way this is nature's way of slowing us down um when she was talking about um all of the emissions and the fact that that the that everywhere around the world is just such more clearer because there's just no there's no there's no cars on the road mm -hmm. well and, london i can i can i can tell you london uh we've been very blessed with the weather here recently. It's been absolutely fantastic. Today is 21 Celsius and it's bright sunny, it's blue skies. But the skies, they, they are, I mean, it's, the sun is just brighter. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously thinking that that's because uh, the pollution levels must have dropped. And, and London is a pretty green place. It's one of the greenest uh, uh, cities in the world, you know. We've got so many parks and open areas here. Uh, and the air quality for a big um, city like London, it's, it's always really good. It's well monitored, you know. We're re really lucky that those things are taken very seriously uh, here, you know. Um, but for sure, this thing of... Uh, all of us taking some time and stop because I mean I don't want to focus. We we are all seeing and hearing about the bad things, the econ the, the economics of it, uh, uh, the cancellations, the problems, the deaths in the world. I don't want to particularly focus on that because those things they are happening and it's bad Everyone enough, you know. Yeah, um, it's our everyday. I'm 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 looking at like um, I I mean for myself particularly. Uh, for several reasons right now it's actually I've been quite I uh, haven't been very well since I came back from from my last tour with Phil X I really went through a couple of weeks that uh, I had something on me and I believe it was probably COVID-19 because I never get ill I never get a cold and I felt something I had something that no tablets were uh, working and uh, it was day after day after day that it was really like uh, um, worn out but uh, but after now that that has passed and I'm really feeling uh, back on my feet again, I've got time because all of the things that I had uh, to do up till you know this whole thing happened is a few weeks that you still have to catch up with a few bits. But right now, I don't have uh, actually a lot of things left to do. And from next week onwards, I'm not gonna have uh, many commitments as per se. So I'm focusing on, on things that are so very simple, but so very important in life as well. And I am just appreciating the fact and trying to be as mindful as possible with time because this is never gonna happen again to have this time on our hands, you know, whichever way you, is affecting uh, each one's lives. But we are privileged, like you said, you know, we, 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 we have uh, certain things that a lot of people out there don't we have security we have a house to leave we have you know some sort of uh, funds to tap into to feed in your case fa your family and to carry on so we are very privileged in that sense but uh but yeah i'm, I'm not entirely sure where i was heading towards with, with well, this but like yeah, the, the stop yeah. thing i think it's 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 incredible if you i was talking to jonathan last night for example and i said hey you guys must crack on now, you know, two months into 
this thing and you gotta come out now that we're not going on tour anymore you guys gonna have to have like you know third album under your sleeve when this thing is you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's a, i think you know prior to us just starting the, the, the podcast when we were just engaging and saying hello i think kind of what you're saying is like again we've got this cloud over the world and we're all in it but i think that there's perspective that we can gain from from it on every level and um and i mentioned to you that we have three young children i have a six-year-old one that's almost four and we have a seven-month-old um and and again this it sounds negative because but but because we're outnumbered both my wife and i are working from home and we have three young kids one in diapers uh, we have to be the educators now we have to have a schedule um And I, I will say that it has been the most challenging three weeks, four, almost four weeks now of my entire, entire life. And we're getting into a better system now. And, and there's, not, there's been hair pull out. You know, you just want to open the door and scream ah, as loud as you can. Um, but there's also been just this, these amazing moments, like you said, that we'll never have again. And I'm fortunate that I'm able to during this time, spend time with my children. And it's, it's making me, it's like, it's almost like you can make a list of the 10 things that you learned about yourself during the COVID-19 global crisis. And I'm doing, I'm learning about myself and I'm tapping into things that I hadn't uh, ever realized that I can do. Um, and it's, you know, and it's also just understanding patience and understanding that these children are six and four, you know, and they don't know what's going on. So I mentioned to you that every morning we open up with, uh, we have breakfast and we have a system and we have them make a gratitude list of things that they're thankful for. And I think that we can all right now benefit by thinking about what there is, not, not the negative, but how do we think about what's positive in, in our life? Um, because there still are those you know, abilities and that's what gets us through um, every day. Uh, so yeah, I would. I would. Uh, That's I would a good that. one. I made a note here. Gratitude list. You know, I yeah. tend to thank um, every day in my in my own uh, um, world, as per se. Um, but I think when you write it down, there's there's power in writing things down, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Gratitude list is something that I definitely will engage. <laughs> Very simple. And, you know, it's interesting when you ask a six-year-old what they're, what they're grateful for, you know, it, it may be. That's very you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the Pokemon thing or, or, is you know, that what they say? Pokemon, or, you know, he's like a root beer float, you know, um, or, you know, like ice cream or, you know, it's, it's funny, like, you know, and the simple but, things, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to, to do. And, um, But I think, that, yeah, I think that we have to kind of do that to keep our mental mental health, right? For keep sure. our self-understanding of it, that we will get through this and it's tough. And, you know, um, I will say with having three kids and trying to work every day here and, uh, and just the hustles of everything that goes into that, um, I've been sleeping like a log <laughs> every night. <laughs> so... <laughs> Tony, um, we dived into an obvious subject uh, because, uh, you know, it's just uh, catching up as well, me and you, right? We haven't properly spoken for, for a few weeks now, but uh, I'd like to go a little bit back and ask you, you know, um, your early beginnings. Where, where did you grow up? How was, uh, did you grow up with your family? Do you have any siblings? Um, uh, and leading up to, you know, you, you did a bachelor in, um, in marketing, right? At a university of Southern Indiana. And that's, I believe, uh, uh, just before you kind of started your early days in rock radio and you had a stint as an editor for hit magazine before you cracked on, on, on the managerial side of things, which you've been doing for, for now, like. Uh, over 20 years, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, so if you could just give us like a little uh, um, insight sure. of how I was growing up, where did you grow up and how, you know, uh, did you get into music and yeah. I am, um, yeah, of course. I, I grew up in the Midwest in, uh, in, in America in um, Southern Indiana, um, right on the Ohio River, right, uh, uh, Kentucky was just south of us. Um, 
Indianapolis was four hours north and St. Louis three hours west. And then we had Louisville an hour and a half uh, east and Nashville was two and a half hours south. So it kind of gives you some geographical perspective of where, where, I, where I grew up. Um, yeah, we grew up uh, in a blue collar family. Um, I have one sister who's two years older. And uh, for me, it's interesting how it all began. And I think if I, I go back to the, where, where it started, it was a, as a Kmart, like it's almost like a Walmart. Um, I had an allowance. My mom told me that I could buy anything that I wanted with my allowance. So I went to the record aisle and, uh, and I picked up the first, it was the kiss kiss album. And, um, I brought it up to her and she were checking out and my mom, I mean, I was a good kid and my mom is awesome. You know, rest her soul. She passed away last year. Um, but she turned to me and said, you are not getting that. Like this is like the devil music, right? Like these guys, these faces painted and I was a good kid. And I was like, no, I'm, you know, I threw a fit and had to throw down in the aisle and there was a whole ordeal. And so I ended up getting it and I came home and I opened it up and this insert comes out and it was the kiss army. And I was like, now I'm joining the Kiss Army, and my sister and my mom, and my dad—they thought that I was going to hell. This is this is we're losing him. <laughs> and so that was my first like I was just enthralled and so like sucked in by you know. And I will say, listen, I mean, people would get mad at me for saying this, but that's it was it was Kiss. It was Kiss, yeah. But it wasn't like deep music, right? But that was a lot of people my age's first experience, and that was actually ended up being my first concert. But I, I, I grew up and I was just really into music, um, and I remember that that as I got into it, I was a little older. I would join one of those record clubs where you get the records, and and uh, they came, and I, I was listening to this artist from New Jersey that I somehow picked out, whose name was Bon Jovi. And growing up in Indiana, this guy was nothing at this point. But I was like, man, Runaway, and She Don't Know Me, and, you know, all, you know, Roulette, all these songs on that record. And I'm like, I'm like trying to play for my sister. So this is me in, in my, you know, formidable years. How and old were you back then? I guess I must have been, you know, I, at that point, I'm guessing middle school, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. And on my big stereo and in my room I had my guitars and my stuff up on the walls and but I was like playing the songs for my sister I was trying to like didn't even realize that this was my future and I'm like this is and I remember my sister saying to me Tony I don't care and I was like I was just it resonated with I like what do you mean you can't care this guy's going to be huge and she's like, just get away from me, you know, like, but that was me then. And I was just like finding the artist and being so into the music and trying to pass it along to others and, and hear the, so we'll call it the A&R aspect of it. So, so you would say that the first two artists that really caught your attention into rock were Kiss and Bon Jovi, mostly. Yeah, you know, it's my, you know, my, my world. And so I was, a, you know, a decent student. I was the, I was the. The, the sort of, you know, touched all the bases. I was a jock who played lots of sports. Um, I was also in marching band. I was band captain, played trumpet. Um, but I also um, was a stoner, um, hung out with the good and the bad kids. And, you know, and so um, fast forward to lunch one day, uh, I, you know, I was r- rolling around with my friend Chris Hieronymus, who passed away, but uh, rest his soul as well. But he was in one of those souped-up beetle bugs with the open engine in the back, which I don't even know if they have those in London back then. But um, we're driving around, we're listening to Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil, you know, and we're we're getting high. And this is full 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 disclosure. We're smoking a joint, and he's like, he's like, so what are you doing next semester? You know, and like, you know, he wasn't the college lane. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, you got to take the intro to radio. I'm a blah, blah, blah. I'm a, I'm a director. I'm like, and I was in a rock band at this point uh, called Exist, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Um, but uh, I was a singer, really bad singer. But um, so I listened to him. And so I ended up signing up for this intro to radio class. And so at the time, there was our speech teacher who taught the class. And it was a console that wheeled in that he had that had this built-in turntable, you know, like two turntables and a microphone. It's like the Beck thing it had the little mixer. And, and so it was like you would do these little radio shows. So he would give you a format 
and you can play. So I remember I come in on my first show and I'm playing, you know, Def Leppard and all the stuff that was happening then. And I, I just had this natural ability, you know, uh, you know, just went into the rap and you had to talk up to, you know, to the, the, you know, to the vocal. And I was just into it. It was just so naturally easy. So Mr. Beggarly pulls me out in the hallway after my first show. And, um, and I thought, well, what did I do? And he says to me, he's like, um, you have a natural talent. And I said, for, for what? <laughs> he's like, for radio. And I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, I want to you know, get you into uh, your senior year, if you're interested, to go out to a different high school. It's a vocational program, but you spend half a day out there. And so I ended up doing it. I ended up becoming the program director of that radio station. I got a job at the, the rock radio station in, in my hometown when I was in high school. Um, and then I basically did the whole thing. I did overnights. I did satellite sports games on our AM state. I did it all, like whatever I needed to do. Um, and I became a program director when I was at the age of 21 of that rock station. So I was like a very young program director. And but, is this um, before or during university? During, during. Right. And that's the thing. I never really was like, you know, the, hitting the books hard guy. Like I was just like, I found my, my, you know, avenue that that direction, which is, you know, did both, but uh, looking back, I wish I would have focused more, you know, too on, on that. But why but marketing then, Tony? Yeah, it was marketing and I also did communications, you know, at school. I also was at the radio station and at the university. Um, but I, I um, with the band during that time too, is a funny story, is like, we were called Exist and uh, you know, we, we ended up breaking up because the guys wanted to become a Christian band. And um, and then I was moving towards radio and also started DJing like uh, weddings and what have you um, at that same time. And so we broke up the band. I think they, they were called Soraya and they went on to become a national, international Christian band. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, is like the guitar player, Quentin Gibson, um, from my, my high school band, um, went on to uh, to become the guitar player and still is to this day. And he's just a great human being. Uh, he's the guitar player for Darius Rucker and has been, you know, all around the world and become super successful. Um, but yeah, no, I, I ended up doing when we broke up. I got the PA. It's um, <laughs> where our investment. So I used that for my DJ. And I, you know, through through that time period, I was like, I had, I think I did over 300 weddings. I had all of the country clubs and all of the places locked up. And um, I was working seven days a week and just grinding doing radio. At one point then I was driving up to Indianapolis doing the, uh, a Sunday show. Um, and then these guys named Bob and Tom, who were, who are sort of the Howard Stearns of the Midwest. We were the first rock radio station to syndicate them and our ratings went through the roof. And... Um, I was yearning to leave. Uh, I had gone to Chicago and the discovery of the big city, and then I went to Los Angeles, and then I went to New York. And my parents, they could see me, they could see they were losing me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started for jobs, and um, I'd had uh, a possible job in Colorado Springs, one in Palm Springs, and uh, but then I got a, a hit from a guy named Steve Blatter, who um, who is has been the head of programming at Sirius XM since day one, but he was at the station called X-107 up in Westchester, New York, and um, I got hired to go out there and do marketing and do some on-air stuff, and uh, and that's what brought me to New York, and that sort of segued me down uh, eventually into um, being a, an assistant for a big radio promo promoter, um, and then uh, I did that for several years, and then moved out west uh, to do uh, the rock editor thing for this magazine, it's called Hits Magazine, um, at the time I was married and, uh, I was getting married and, uh, and, uh, had been married twice. And so we, my ex-wife was supposed to move to Los Angeles and then she didn't. Um, so I was bi-coastal flying back and forth and, um, ended up going back to, uh, to New York to, to, to start this thing, uh, with my former boss. Uh, we call it Rockstar 2K where we weren't necessarily the managers, but we were in, in between. So we... It was the beginning of the internet where, in my mind, I knew that all radio station program directors knew or had a band that they fancied in their market that they were touting and they believed in. And so we created this contest um, to, and I convinced a, a, a label guy named Don Gaiman, who Don Gaiman produced all of the John Mellencamp records, Tracy Chapman, 
He did the Big Hootie and the Blowfish records. And at the time, he gave us a very lucrative record deal when he was at MCA. He had his own imprint on MCA. So we, uh, we did the contest, and we gave it away at CBGB's in New York, um, which turns out to be the, uh, it was a band called the Blue Dogs who won that particular contest. Um, they were from Charleston, South Carolina. Great band, but never really materialized into to huge success. Uh, and, and, and I will say partially, but this, this happened to be the Saturday night before the Tuesday of 9-11. And uh, so that was, uh, I was in New York during that time. But um, You were in New York yeah. when, you, when the 9-11 took place? Yes, yeah, we, we, yeah, we were there. And, um, yeah, we, we you know, lived through all of that and sadly watched the towers fall and the whole thing from where we were. My office was on 23rd Street in Chelsea, and the first tower went down. We were um, we were up on the roof of our building, and we watched it just crumble. Um, and it was just one of those moments where you just like that can't that can't happen. That can't happen. That's and it's kind of what's going on right now. Like it's that same feeling if you think about it. Like this is how can this how could this happen? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is, um, and. We got through that, and uh, and this is a different thing with a pathogen, but uh, but we will get through it anyway. So that's sort of a story that, that you know, led me to to New York, and I always said that um, I lived ten lives in New York um, from where I would have been in my midwestern state. Nothing against living in the Midwest; it's great, but New York opened me up to the whole world and the travels and the you know the people that I've met, and and so. Just an amazing uh, experience, and then uh, was there for 20 plus years and did the management thing. And uh, my wife is from Boston. We had the opportunity to move up here, and um, in 2018, and and uh, we've been up here. And how ever since. how did you um, how did you navigate it then from uh, from going from all of those jobs and all of those places that you've been to to eventually become um, before supervising team of artist managers but like to become a day-to-day manager for for the likes of a chevelle fear of a dead man uh in this moment because uh, that's part of the um, what's the name of that company now i just slipped my mind you oh, indigo. Indigo. exactly yeah. yes how did that uh, all started well that uh, was my my former uh, uh, boss uh his company and, and um i uh after the Rockstar 2K thing segued into to, to doing management, the first client that, that I worked with was a band named Saliva. I don't know if you've heard of Saliva. No. Um, they're f- f- famous for a song um, called Click, Click, Boom. Um, and others, ladies and gentlemen. But if you heard them, you would know them. And uh, Josie Scott, the singer, was a, was a really incredibly talented uh, the guy. And so that was the first. And then, you know, just one after another, worked with the Chevelle guys for many, many, many years. And, um, yeah, lots of different artists uh, over the years, and, and just you just you know learned the I learned the ropes through through just the, you know figuring it out and the hustle, and it was sort of a natural segue of, of it's you know if you think about management, it's um, a lot of it is well some of psychology, it's logistics mainly you know a lot of logistics, a lot of planning, you know I always say look look eighteen months two years out down the road, and where do we want to be? at that point and then work backwards from there. Um, what is the plan and how do we align everything so that there's a crescendo to reach the mass amount of people when we release a record um, and, or, you know, with the right touring. So that, those are just the, the, the day-to-day components um, of just, you know, the, the broader scale elements that, that I think that, that you just have to learn as, as a manager. And there's so many different moving parts. Um, you know, Mike Newman, who came aboard with me to work with uh, with me at C3, he's amazing. He was a you know a former colleague at, at Indigoot and had been doing specialty show and has his own side business and also has a cool magazine um, that he does um, called Maximum Alternative. But as he kind of came aboard to help me, you know, to to with the with the team, um, what with what I'm building on on, on my side at, at C3, he commented to me, he's like, "Wow, he's like there there are so many more things." to consider as an artist manager um, than they would seem from the outside. And that's just it. You just have to hustle and, you know, 
but a lot of questions. But was there a moment like when what happened um, within yourself that somehow because this is not um, the kind of thing that you just um, wake up one day and say, "Hey, I'm going to be an artist manager." You do have to have knowledge of the business. You do have to know people. You do, you know, how sure. how, how 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 did that uh, this the, well, you know the progression was because the the company where where I worked. Um, it was a big uh, independent rock uh, uh, promotion company. So the relationships with every major label, with every major rock, on the rock side, every major rock person at every label um, was, was, it was built into this machine. And um, the decision was made to then begin doing management before the independent world sort of all changed. So um, the first client that, uh, that the company had um, that blew up was Three Doors Down. Um, and the, the company also found Creed, which didn't manage them, but, but was responsible for helping put that into play. So when that all started happening, and then Puddle of Mud came along. Um, so but that was just what the company, you know, what the company did. So the natural progression was that because of the relationships that were already there, and did, you, that, and did you say that you were a bit, that, what were you doing for, for Creed at the time, did you say? Well, the, we, the company found Creed just through, um, uh, through the business because of it being um, a promotion company. There's, there's a guy named Jeff Hansen who, you know, was uh, their manager and he got plugged in to, to, to us as, at the company. And I was uh, my boss's assistant at the time. So I remember fueling the calls and the whole conversations and, um, uh, so yeah, so no one would sign the band. They showcased and wow. every label passed on them. Um, and there was a label called Grass Records um, that was just being bought, I guess, or or, or they were changing their their uh, their moniker to to Wind Up, and um, they signed them. And the rest is history, as they say. Uh, they become no. they be. Came like they were huge on the early two thousands, weren't they? Proper they sure, arena act, right? Sure were, yeah. Um, so that uh, you know that was sort of the beginning of, of the, and then the idea of hey, um, this company can do this too, and, and so then then I then I left and I was gone for a couple of years, and then I went back to the same company to begin the Rockstar UK, and then that sort of segued me into the management field. Um, and then I did that for, you know, I've done that for over 20, 20 plus years now. Hard to believe. I'm dating myself, Carl. <laughs> Gaining knowledge, Tony. That's what's <laughs> happening. Gaining knowledge. <laughs> so um, what happened with um, the Carnival of Madness? The, the rock tour that uh, you, you guys were like developing and, and trying to bring? Yeah. Um I mean, it was just something that I, I headed up there at the company. Um, it was, uh, we just thought the idea was, was there to, to run with. Um, I remember a guy named um, Jay Tavernese who worked at the company kind of came up with the, the, the name of, of it when we were all looking for that cool name. And, um, you know, Shinedown, who was a, a, you know, a client there, also had the, the sound of madness. And I don't know, there, there was never any official... Like, hey, was that an idea or a play off of that? But the idea of Carnival and then, and, you know, of Madness. So it sort of played well. And I, I don't know how many we did. I think we did at least five or six uh, of them. And it ended up sort of being Shinedown's um, event, sort of like uh, uh, Limp Biscuit had the, uh, what was it? What was the name of their? Kind of like um, Not Fast, Slipknot. Yeah, Slipknot yeah. Fast and... Um, I forget the name of what Limp Bizkit ended up doing. Family Values, remember Family Values mm -hmm. tour? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we did that, and you know, Monster Energy was a big sponsor for us at that time. So they uh, helped us, uh, you know, they uh, you know, pop some money into it so that we could make it work for for from that perspective. And we had moderate success with, with it as well. There were many tours that were out there that um, were competing, you know, with the uproars and. Um, there's various various tours at that mm -hmm. time, um, but yeah, we had a lot of fun with it, and, and uh, it's some cool branding, and uh, learned a lot from from that side of it. So, um, and um, well, and then um, you then followed uh, 
to see three management then how did I, that it, end up happening when did you get uh, the call from charlie walker that uh i quote here by the way he said Tony and Russell are both accomplished veterans and we are excited to welcome them to the C3 management family. Each of them will bring a level of expertise that will play an important role in the continuing growth of our company. Charlie Walker. Yeah, no, I, um, I met Charlie through someone uh, who's our promotion guy named uh, uh, Joe Greenwald at C3 and I'd known Joe uh, for many, many years and uh, we always jokingly would almost work together when we were at HITS and he almost, uh, he interviewed and talked to us when I was at Indigute. Um, he was a Detroit guy, uh, radio promo guy that, that had been in Austin where C3 is based for several years. So um, truth be told, the phone rang and uh, I didn't uh, go go knocking, looking or anything. And um, I remember Joe was asking me some questions and I was like, are you kicking the tires? What are you, what's going on here? And he goes, I am. So he introduced me to, to Charlie and we, we met and uh, Charlie is in, you know, and Charles and, and the whole company, they're just um, at the highest level. I can't say, I can't speak higher about any um, people that I've ever met in the business in the sense of understanding and being so um, positive and, and supportive. And it's a, it's a culture that, you know, is well known in the industry. Um, and the C3 uh, is the, is of that ilk, you know. I said to Joe that day, I was like, so, so as he's telling me all of this stuff, I was like, so, so okay, okay, that's great. That's great. I love this story. But Joe, cut to the chase. It's like, you know, is it really as good as, you, you know, what, what you hear? Is it as good as what you're saying? Because it's, what, what's the other side of the shoe? And he goes, no, it's as good as what, <laughs> you know, I have the best job in the world and uh, they support me and, and uh, allow us to do what we believe in. They, you know, and that's just it. You know, Charlie said it to me. He's like, "Look, we vetted you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not in a rush. We're in a 20-year plan. You're here for a reason. Go to your job and just, um, you know." And he, he had said, "You know," I said, "Look, I, I was, I was walking off a, a golf course with him, a green, and I said something about him being my boss." And he stopped me and he said, "Look, I'm not your boss. I'm your partner." He said, you make all the decisions. I'm here to, to help us, you know, tip in and push where I can so we can make more money. That's And really that good. resonated with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, wow. And for those of you that uh, don't know C3 Management, uh, C3 Presence, um, it's famed for producing Austin City Limits, Lollapalooza. And uh, C3 Management actually has offices, uh, Austin, Boston, Denver, London, Los Angeles, Everywhere, basically. And um, Tony, um, what in your, with your expertise, with your experience, with your life experience in the music business and being an artist manager as you are, uh, what makes uh, a good artist manager, on your opinion, from, uh, you you don't need to speak about yourself, I'm asking, like, if you look at someone, uh, how would, what sorts of uh, qualities and uh, things you would identify on, on the individual and say, well, this guy does have uh, the skills or the potential to, to do this sort of job, this kind of job? Well, I think, number one, um, organization. You have to be organized because there are so many elements to uh, an artist's career. Um, then, then comes the relationships. You have to have... Of, you know some level of relationships and uh, you know rolodex if you if you will um, and develop and being out there to develop it if you're young and you're getting into it so I would just say meet everyone you possibly can um, ingratiate yourself like let them know that you're in it for the long haul um, but I think the qualities are you know organization um, patience logistics you know, same fall into the same element um, understanding the new technologies. Uh, be be at the forefront of, of that, you know, and, you know, as a person who's been doing it for a long time, there are so many moving parts in that world, too, that we're constantly um, trying to make sure that we're on top of for the artist in this digital age. So I think that that's, you know, if you're a young, young manager getting into the game, that's just probably going to come naturally for you. But if you've, if you're a little older, then you really have have to do the continuing education aspect of understanding where the marketplace is. Um, I think there's a psychological uh, aspect too. I think that you, 
um, understanding how to speak to artists in a, a manner that is, um, uh, you know, trust to build that trust with them and to, to make sure that they know that you're genuine with what you, you know, you're looking out for their best interest at all times. That's, that's your job. So I think that that quality as a manager is vital because and it, it can't be fake. It has to be sincere. Right. I mean, obviously, but, but that's true. Like you just have to, you know, um, you know, if you come in like a bull in a China shop, um, sometimes, you know, people forget, you know, you work, you work for the client, you're, you know, the artist is, is the boss and you're, you know, you're the general, so to speak, to help them um, plug in, all aspects of their career. So you're looking at, you know, the recording, the writing, recording, um, the touring, the the business management, accounting, which is, you know, uh, extremely important. Making sure that um, all revenue streams are accurately accounted for, um, that you're not leaving money on the table. You're working with the booking agent to make sure that you're maximizing the opportunities with the artists. And how do you grow the guarantee? you know, for the band. And sometimes that's a, uh, you get to a place where it's a difficult decision where you you sometimes have to say no to certain things to know that if your value is there, that they will come back to you and that that's where the money grows. You may go from, you know, making, uh, you know, you may be at 20,000 US, you know, at a, at a festival and a developing act. And how do we get to 30 if you actually have growth and momentum and, and that the promoter knows that but they're playing the game, then you just have to say no. And then if they really want you, then that, and then all of a sudden now you're a $30,000 festival band. Uh, and so, and then understanding the streaming, all aspects of the game is like, how do you grow streaming? You know, what are you doing? What are the best practices? So I think that the, that sort of all ties into being organized, um, having relationships. If you don't have them, develop them. Um, being patient, being understanding, listen, you know, listening, listening to artists, um, what do they want, what, and how do you make the plan, um, and making sure that they're well informed of what's going on, you know. So yeah. I don't know. That's sort of it in general. I think it's a, and it's a it's a twenty four seven job. There are no weekends in management. <laughs> cool. Tony, uh, I want to start to wrap up our conversation. I want to be mindful of your time. Um, so I'm just going to have a few uh, questions here with short answers. Um, it's the, basically the roller coaster questions that I have. But just before that, I want to ask you something. If you have any or follow any morning routines or rituals, if you have a certain, uh, a, you know, if you follow any sort of routine in the morning. Well, in a, in a normal world, um, yes, <laughs> um, is, is generally, you know, get the kids up and get them off to one of them on the school bus, the other one to daycare. Um, and then if this wasn't happening, we would have had our nanny. Um, and then I would um, probably generally do some exercise. So it's either, uh, you know, some yoga. Um, uh, we have a Peloton bicycle uh, application here um, that I do um, swim. I like to get in the pool. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sort of, um, you know, you have to do that. So, um, I'm a, I know you're, a, you're an elite marathoner. Um, <laughs> um, we, we've discovered, but, uh, I have a tattoo on my wrist that says 26.2. Um, I've run six full marathons and I know that those days generally are behind me now, but, um, but I, I would say the answer to that question is, is, you know, you have to stay physically and mentally fit. Um, and I, and also working in the business, you know, I'm 51 now and, um, you have to have a young mind, you know, and, and be vibrant. So, uh, the, the answer to that question is, is now with the, with, with what's going on with the, with this pandemic, you know, we're, we're sort of like swimming in quicksand, you know, to try to figure out the daily routine, but it's coming together a little bit better now with having the three kids and, their educational stuff happens generally in the mornings. Um, I'll squeak in, you know, a 30 minute ride on Peloton, uh, uh, or, you know, do some, a little bit of yoga here and there, but, um, I'm still trying to find my new, my new routine, uh, amidst this, uh, this craziness. Fair enough. Um, 
what's your spiritual practice, if any at all? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm definitely a spiritual person. Uh, I would like to say that I, I have a regular routine with it. Um, I try to get to the seat and sit when I can. And usually these days, that's five or 10 minutes of uh, just sitting and letting go. Um, that's my mantra, you know, let go. Um, and, uh, but I do believe that there's, you know, um, I believe in psychic development is probably the best way to put it is, is that there's a higher power that, um, if you want something, you have to put it out to the universe that you want it and you have to believe in it purely and, um, it will manifest itself through you being, you know, it's karmatic. You have to like, you know, do the right things <laughs> and, and think the right things and be positive and, uh, and believe and, you know, live in the power of, of, of the moment of now. So that's sort of a, a general philosophy that I adhere to or try to. My, you know, minus the days that I mentioned, I want to go outside and open the door and yell, Fuck! But, <laughs> but, but, but it's it's trying just trying to find a, a balance, right? Yes. Um, I adhere to too much of anything is a bad thing on either side. So try to stay in the middle. Excellent. That's a very good place for us to wrap up this conversation. I had plenty more questions for you, Tony. I had a lot of other things to ask. However, this could be part one of what uh, could be part two eventually in the near future. We, I'm sure we're going to have uh, plenty more opportunities to, to chat and to do other podcasts because there would be a lot of other stuff that I would like to dive into. Uh, you're such a knowledgeable uh, person, uh, a great guy, well experienced in this music industry and, and myself as someone that works in this industry as well. Um, I'm very interested in asking other specific questions but then again we'll leave that for another moment i thank you for your time my friend it's good to see you good to talk no, to you and uh, have, um, have a great you. day over there yeah thank you for having me and let, sure let's let's talk again thanks for thinking of me and um i'm happy to ride on the roller coaster with you thank you tony have a good day my friend you too carl thank you i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation this podcast as much as I did doing it. So if that's the case, please do follow on Instagram at RollercoasterCarl, myself at Carl Casagrande, on Twitter, same thing, Facebook, same thing. Uh, do subscribe, do subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, that's very, very much appreciated. Thank you and have a great, great day. Cheers. Bye-bye.